Famed cosmologist and atheist Stephen Hawking once said of Christianity that heaven is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. The atheist claims we are fools to believe in God. In fact, we're told that it's often the Bible itself that shows how foolish it is to believe in and worship God. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at that statement from atheist and famed magician Pin Gillette on YouTube in regards to how the Bible itself solidified his atheism. And I'll read the quote again from his video. He says, when you see Lot's daughter gang raped and beaten and the Lord being okay with that, when you read about Abraham being willing to kill his own son, when you read the insanity of the talking snake, when you read the hostility toward homosexuals, toward women, the celebration of slavery, when you read in context that thou shalt not kill means only in your own tribe. I mean, there's no hint that it means humanity in general. And there's no sense of a shared humanity. It's all tribal. When you see a God that is jealous and insecure, when you see that there's contradictions that show that it was clearly written hundreds of years after the supposed fact and full of contradictions. So far, we've looked at a couple of these statements regarding uh, the first one, God being okay with Lot's daughter being gang raped. And we learned that Gillette had completely misrepresented and misunderstood the story in Genesis 12. In fact, we see that God did not at all condone Lot's actions. God actually protected Lot's daughters. And that the story of Lot, God uses to teach us that it's faith, our faith is based on God's grace and not our works. We also looked at Gillette's claim about Abraham being willing to kill his own son. And we saw in, in Genesis 22 that it was not wrong at all for God to issue this command. As God in no way intended, nor would he have allowed Abraham to follow through on his command. We learned that Abraham did not act unethically because he knew that God somehow, some way was going to protect the life of his son. And we learned that ultimately, the story was a question to Abraham if he was going to trust God absolutely. A question that he still asks you and I today. Tonight, we're going to drop down to Gillette's second to last statement, where he says, when you see a God that is jealous and insecure, many atheists, many non-believers, even non-Christian theists, make the argument that God is not worthy of our worship or our belief because he's a jealous God. And because he's a jealous God, that must mean that he's an insecure God. In their minds, jealousy is a negative characteristic. Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, says that God breaks into a monumental rage whenever his chosen people flirted with a rival God. Pagan author and practicing druid John Beckett says of Jehovah God, Jealousy is not a virtue. Its roots are not in love and power, but in possessiveness and insecurity, which are not part of a good, healthy relationship. It seeks a relationship of control and often abuse, not one of respect. Why would a God ever be jealous? Jealousy is a sign of a fragile ego that needs constant reinforcement. Atheists and non-Christians will even point out that God is violating his own law by being a jealous God. They point out that covetousness from which jealousy derives is a violation of the 10th commandment. So again, let's look at how as Christians we should respond. 
when we are confronted with the argument that God is not worthy of our worship, God is not worthy of our belief because he's jealous and he's insecure. To begin with, we need to point out that the Bible is clear. God is a jealous God. God clearly states in his word that he's a jealous God. He says that he does not tolerate our affection toward any other gods. In Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. He tells us that when his jealousy is aroused, so too is his anger. In Deuteronomy 32, 21, it says, They have roused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They have provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now, he even tells us in his word that one of the key characteristics of his nature is jealousy. In Exodus 34, 14, you must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, capital J, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. So if jealousy is a negative characteristic and God clearly claims to be a jealous God, how do we as Christians then reconcile this in our minds? How do we counter the non-Christian that states that a jealous God is not a God worthy of our time and attention and worship? Christian apologist Brian Chilton points out that there's really only three valid possibilities here. Number one, God has a character flaw, which means then God is not perfect. Possibility number two is that maybe the Bible is incorrect in its description of God as jealous. But that would mean then that the Bible is not inerrant. It has error. Or the third possibility is that non-Christians are misunderstanding God's jealousy. And it's this third point that I'd like to explore this evening. The major problem with the argument that God is bad, that God is jealous, is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to measure God with a human measuring stick. If you take a little bit of time and you explore the concept in jealousy in the Bible, we discover that there are two very different types of jealousy that are discussed within its pages. The first type of jealousy in the Bible is what we call worldly jealousy, and it is a sin. Worldly jealousy is actually straight from the devil. In James 3.15, it says, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Now the word for jealousy that James is using here is a Greek word that can mean an envious and contentious rivalry, especially applied toward an enemy. James is basically speaking of the dictionary definition of jealousy that you and I could find in the dictionary. That can be defined as feelings of resentment against someone because that person's success or advantages that they have that we don't have. Worldly jealousy, yes, is based on covetousness. And covetousness, as we've already pointed out, is a violation of the 10th commandment. Covetousness is strongly wanting something that someone else has. And by extension, jealousy and covetousness is a sin because it's really us telling God that we're not happy, we're not satisfied with what he has given us. Covetousness and jealousy is us not trusting God nor being satisfied with God. We want more. 
Because of the sin of covetousness, we get jealous when a, when a friend has a better job or career than we do. We get jealous when our neighbor has a nicer house or a nicer car or more money, etc., etc. We get jealous when we see someone that has skills and talents that we wish we had. We get jealous when we see someone that's more attractive or in better shape than we are. We all understand worldly jealousy because we all probably have struggled at some point in our lives with worldly jealousy. The second type of jealousy we find in the Bible is godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is very different from worldly jealousy that's based on covetousness. God is not jealous because we have something he wants or needs. God is jealous because we are stealing something that rightfully belongs to him, and then we are turning around and giving it to someone else. And what is it exactly that we are stealing from God? We're stealing from God our worship, our adoration, and our praise. And we take it from God, and we turn around, and we give our worship and our adoration and our praise to other gods. Godly jealousy is not wicked or sinful any more than it's not sinful for a husband to be jealous when he sees another man flirt with his wife and then he sees his wife flirt back. In the marriage covenant, the affections of a husband and a wife are to be for one another. It's not sinful. In fact, I would say it's proper that a husband or wife would be jealous when they see their spouse reciprocate the affections of another. So we see that godly jealousy is a good trait. It's a good trait of a good God. But here's the thing about godly jealousy. Godly jealousy brings godly anger. Now the atheist will tell you that jealousy results in insecurity. And an insecure God is not worthy of our worship and belief. But actually the Bible clearly shows That godly jealousy does not lead to godly insecurity. Godly jealousy results rightfully in godly anger. A godly anger that is absolutely and completely justified. You know, it's one thing for the false gods of this world to try to tempt us away from God. But it's something else when we give into the temptation and we begin to chase after these false gods. Anytime we bow down before a false God, we are being unfaithful. And God is completely intolerant of our unfaithfulness and our pursuit of any rival. It doesn't matter who or what it is. God demands that our gaze, our desire, our love is exclusively for him. This is not a sign of insecurity. It is absolutely his right to make this demand of us for two very important reasons. Number one, we were created by God to worship him and him alone. God created us for himself. We belong to him. Psalm 100 verse 2, it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. Our proper purpose is to worship God. Should God not have the right then to be angry when we don't fulfill the purpose for which we were created? Should the watchmaker not be angry when the watch he has created refuses to keep proper time? 
In the 1600s, top theologians in England and Scotland got together and they wrote what we call the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I don't know what all that means, but catechism, I understand, means a teaching. And in this catechism or teaching, they basically summarize that the purpose of man is described in the Bible in a single statement. The whole purpose of man that they say, according to the Bible, can be boiled down to this one statement. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the only way that you and I glorify God and the only way that we can enjoy him forever is when we act according to our purpose, which is to worship God and God alone. So we see we are created by God to worship him. But number two, God not only created us, but he completely deserves all of our worship. God completely deserves all of our worship because only God is worthy of our worship. We see in Jeremiah 10, 6, it says, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. Who would not fear you, O king of nations? That title belongs to you alone. Among all the wise people of the earth and all the kingdoms of the world, there is no one like you. You know, try and imagine the unimaginable pain that our heavenly father felt as he turned his back on his son, as Jesus took upon himself the full punishment for all the sin of the world. Now think about the false gods that you are tempted to worship. Think about the sinful desires that so easily capture your heart and mind. Which of these false gods has ever sacrificed anything for you? Which of these false gods has ever given their very life for you? We are created by God to worship him alone. And only God is worthy and deserving of our worship. So after just a little bit of an examination, you can see that it's easy that the atheist does not understand the jealousy of God. But the sad truth is that for many Christians, even though we understand what godly jealousy is, even though we know that only God is worthy of and deserving of our worship, many times we find ourselves being tempted down the path to worship false gods. So I'd like to conclude this evening by looking at five truths about false gods. Five reasons why it is foolish of us as the children of God to worship anything or anyone else besides God. Reason number one. False gods may be beautiful on the outside, but they are empty on the inside. In Jeremiah 10.8 it says, People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. Now, I didn't say that. Jeremiah said that. People who worship idols, make sure you understand this, are stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. They bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. And they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols. Then they dress these gods in royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I like to go to Barnes & Noble from time to time. I know everybody in the world has moved to digital books, but I still prefer the tactile feel of holding and reading a physical book in my hands. 
But I've noticed that, you know, over time, over the past few years, that Barnes & Noble has really rearranged their sections. And, and really now everything is dedicated to trying to help you become a better person by fixing all the problems in your life. I noticed that they've got an entire section on self-improvement, row upon row of books with these covers of these smart, smiling, intelligent people promising you that they can help you have a better lifestyle, generally by changing your mindset. They'll tell you how to tap into the inner energy that you have through things like meditation. They have a, an entire row, I don't know if you've seen this, an entire row dedicated to tarot cards and witchcraft and magic. And I've, I've spent some time thumbing through the books and looking at the tarot cards. And here's the thing. These tarot cards and these magic books are absolutely beautiful in their artwork and the intriguing illustrations. Surely, as you look at these cards and you read these books, you can find the answer to your problems in these beautiful cards, these beautiful books. Then they have this whole section on cooking and fitness. And it seems like every book on this aisle has some young guy or girl showing off their six-pack abs. I don't believe it's popular to, to cook anymore with your shirt on. You have to take your shirt off to show your abs. And, and you have, you know, some beautiful person promising you, if you just eat lettuce and not meat, you can look like me. But then there's another beautiful person saying, if you just eat meat and not pasta, you can look just like me. And so I just want to go over to the cafe there, get a coffee and a donut, and just relax. It's, it's all very confusing. But inside of each of these books, you know, are just empty words. Empty words of fallen man. Reason number two, false gods can't make your life better. Jeremiah 10, 14, it says, the craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make for their for their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. The truth is, is that our culture is filled with beautiful, enticing, happy, smiling, false gods. All promising you the secret to the perfect and joy-filled life. But once you open the books and you flip through the pages and you look at the ads and you examine the websites, you quickly realize that there's nothing new here. It's just the same old empty promises. It's all a fraud. Worshiping false gods is the height of foolishness because false gods are empty. They're wood on the inside. Reason number three, it brings God's anger into our lives. In Deuteronomy 32, 16, it says, they stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. As Christians, we can't stop our Heavenly Father from loving us, but we can stop Him from being pleased with us. And we can invite His stern discipline into our lives. And I don't know about you, while I'm thankful that my eternity is sealed by the Holy Spirit, I really don't want to experience the anger of God in my life. I would like to experience God's pleasure, not His displeasure. When we worship and follow after false gods, we invite God's anger into our lives. 
Number four, it cuts off our relationship with God. In Deuteronomy 32, 18, it says, you neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. The Lord saw this, and get this, he drew back. He drew back, provoked to anger by his own sons and daughters. He said, I will abandon them. And then see what becomes of them. For they are a twisted generation, children without integrity. You know, just as it's impossible to have a relationship, a good relationship with your spouse while they are openly cheating on you, you can't have a good relationship with God while at the same time you are out there worshiping other gods. Jesus tells us in Matthew 2.24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Now notice Jesus mentions money here as the false God that he's talking about. Money is arguably one of the probably the most popular false gods that we love to worship. Sexual pleasure is probably a second most loved God that we love to worship. Regardless of what false gods we are tempted by, you can't pursue after it and God at the same time. Reason number five, false gods will abandon you in the end. In Jeremiah 10, 11, Say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heaven. Let there be no misunderstanding. If you or I insist on worshiping false gods in our lives, yes, there will be that initial period of time where we will enjoy the pleasure of our false god. All sin is pleasurable for a season. Hebrews 11.25 refers to this period as the fleeting pleasure of sin. But ultimately, all false gods will drain the very life out of us and then abandon us. Numbers 32.23, be sure that your sin will find you out. Your false god that brought you so much pleasure will one day vanish from your life. All that you will have left are the consequences of your sin. For example, look at the false god of sexual sin. Proverbs 3, 5, it says, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path of life. Oh yeah, the, the god of sexual sin can taste sweet as honey. But as you enjoy your false god, your very life is being robbed. Just like the con artists will promise you the moon while robbing you dry, false gods will entice you into worshiping them, but eventually they will cast you aside. Abandoned, thrown away, empty, miserable, and alone. So as we wrap up this evening, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine... For those of us that are married, if you confess to your spouse that you were having an affair, I don't want to imagine that because if I did that, I had to probably be in another state when I admitted that because I wouldn't live through it. But if you, you confess to your spouse that you're having an affair, but then they just looked at you and shrugged their shoulders and says, yeah, that's no big deal. I mean, it would be shocking, wouldn't it? You would wonder, well, maybe my spouse has never loved me at all. Maybe my spouse is cheating on me too. 
How can you love and have a marriage relationship with someone who wouldn't get jealous if you cheated on them? How can you have a close relationship with a God that doesn't care if you worship other gods? Stephen Hawking once said of Christianity, heaven is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. Mathematician John Lennox responded, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. The atheist argues that God is not worthy of our worship because he's a jealous God. He's an insecure God. But they are looking at God through the veil and confusion of darkness. I would argue that when you look at God through the light of his holiness and righteousness, you see that God is worthy of our worship precisely because he is a jealous God. If God is not jealous when our hearts stray from him, he would not be a good God. Why would you want to worship a God that didn't care if we were faithful to him or not? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful for this evening. We are thankful for this characteristic that we, we, we often overlook, we often don't study, but your jealousy, Lord. Lord, we pray this evening you'll search our hearts. Is there any place in our lives where we have stolen your worship and are giving it to someone or something else? Oh, Lord, if you, if you show that in our hearts, Lord, please forgive us. We repent of the sin of worshiping other gods. We run back to you and, and, and throw ourselves before you and confess our sin and repent of it. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you are a jealous God, that you care about us so much that, Lord, you will not tolerate us running after false gods, false gods that will destroy our lives and leave us abandoned. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that as we study your word, the more we study, the more we realize how absolutely true, how absolutely wonderful it is. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with all of your heart. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.